everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Do you, um, do you value the, the attribute of authenticity? Just, yeah, I, I think most of us do. You know, you know it's a bugaboo for me. I, I, it's so important. And when we talk about being someone authentic, we mean... They're, they're real. They're, uh, they're not fake. They're not a show. There's, there's not these significant inconsistencies between what they say and what they do. They, they, they appear as they are, as they truly are. And uh, may I say, if there are inconsistencies in your life, as there, as there are in my life, um, uh, you better believe there are, uh, we can still be authentic if we can own them openly. In other words, someone can be called authentic by being honest about their failures and their struggles. The key is that they're being real and truthful in terms of of who they really are. When someone isn't authentic, uh, people notice. And in the case of famous people, sometimes um, it's particularly glaring. You might be familiar with what happened to Ellen DeGeneres. She had this incredible career, hugely popular stand-up, had her own uh, sitcom in the 90s, and then beginning in 2003, she's had her own syndicated talk show. She hosted the Oscars and the Grammys and the Emmys and won a few awards herself, um, as in 30 Emmys and 20 People's Choice Awards, and uh, in, in 2016 even received the presidential Medal of Freedom. Um, maybe most famously, if you're part of a certain age group or a parent or grandparent, she's the voice of Dory in Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. And it seemed that much of her image or her brand or her appeal was built around how nice she was to people. Her talk show's tagline was, be kind to one another. Well, that's taken some reputational damage lately. If you followed the story a few years ago, it came out that her show was, was sort of under the microscope. DeGeneres was accused of kind of presiding over a hostile workplace, uh, alleged harassment towards staff, this atmosphere filled with, you know, racist comments and microaggressions and, and bullying. And, uh, shortly after DeGeneres announced that she would end her talk show following the 19th season. What happened? I, I, I guess the simple answer is uh, the person who pushed the tagline, be kind to one another, uh, turned out in a lot of circumstances not to be very kind herself. It feels, it feels inauthentic. And it's kind of one thing that we just can't stand. Um, you know, when Tucker Carlson has a kind of a groveling interview with, with former President Donald Trump. And we know that his private texts 
say that he hates him passionately and that he's a demonic force and, and however you feel about Trump and Tucker, you have to admit there's something inauthentic about that. In the 1950s, there was a sociologist at Stanford who coined the term cognitive dissonance. And, uh, and maybe we are all guilty of this on some level, you know, coming up with logical contortions and justifications about what we strongly believe, uh, it sometimes doesn't match up with how we act. It's called authenticity. It's called integrity. You know, it's, a ma- it's kind of a math word. It's where we get the, the word integer from. What kind of number is an integer? A whole number. Uh, undivided, not fractioned. Uh, like James said last week, it, it's we're not to be a divided soul, you know, tossed and turned by the wave. Someone sent me a great verse yesterday. Blessed is the righteous person who walks in integrity. And that's why we're doing this series through, through the New Testament letter of James called A Faith That Works. Because if James is trying to drive home anything, I think it's authenticity. Specifically, an authentic faith, an authentic relationship with God. And today we're going to find that James is going to jump right into the heart of what that means. So um, I hope you're reading along with the whole church and uh, that these verses won't uh, be the first time that you're reading it, but we'll pick it up on chapter 1, verse 19. Here's what he says. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So let's just stop right there. Here James is giving kind of this quick uh, litmus test in terms of our spiritual authenticity. It, It may not be the one that I would have come up with or that you would have come up with, but that's why we need what James has written here. Here's the test. Are you quick to listen? Are you slow to speak? Are you slow to become angry? Uh, That's not the kind of test I want. I want more of a, you know, check off this box thing. Did you read your Bible today? Did I pray today? Did I floss? You know, (laughs) give me that kind of test. I know how to pass that kind of test. It's even easy, except for flossing. I'm not going to lie to you guys. (laughs) But James doesn't give... (laughs) Oh, that's right. Flossing's a big scam, isn't it? Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. Um, (laughs) But James, it doesn't give a, you know, have you done this, have you done your devotions today kind of test. Um, It's more like, how were your personal interactions with people today? Were they marked by a verbal restraint, humble listening, the absence of anger, if so, good. If not, then you need to know that that's not truly the heart of a Christ follower. Not living righteously, which by the way, just means living rightly in God's eyes. Um, If I'm honest, left to my own devices, my own human instincts, when I sit down with someone, do I whisper this prayer that says, God, Help me to keep my mouth shut, my ears open, uh, my heart filled with such 
love and patience that anger just wouldn't have a chance to get a, a foothold? If I'm honest, the answer most often is no, because uh, left to my own instincts um, and unchallenged by verses like this, I don't pray that prayer, but I need to. Maybe you do too, because my nature, maybe yours too, is to be slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to get angry. And of the three, anger, I think, is the one we need to be most vigilant about because I think it tends to be the one we're most defensive about. We protect our anger. Have you noticed that? We work hard to justify it. Think about it. Most of us are okay with saying we need to listen more. Most of us are okay with owning that we should probably talk a bit less. But anger? Not only do we want to deny we get angry, uh, but if we do, when we do, we want to put a ribbon on it because our anger is justified. If you knew the context, if you knew the backstory, if you knew what I'd already put up with, what I have already been through with this person. Um, so we don't tend to critique it in our lives that well. We tend to defend it. If we're angry, often it's because... Um, of, of what we're angry about. So it's, it's not even associated with us. It's, you know, you are the one making me furious. You are the one making me angry. You are the one making me upset. You made me act this way. And if it's not a you, it's an it. You know, the traffic, the line, the being put on hold, the car, the bill. And as a result, we believe that however we act in response is justified. But James is going after the practice of anger, which is how this literally reads in the original Greek language. Uh, the practice of anger is how it would more accurately be read. And that's what so many of us exhibit, a practice, an ongoing activity, an embrace of anger. So why is James singling out you know, these as a benchmark? Why is it speech and listening and anger. Aren't there sort of bigger spiritual fish to fry, so to speak? Well, actually, this is some of the most important and I think penetrating spiritual counsel that we can get. And again, I'll just speak for me. You may have a different take on this. But when I think about it, these are the, the three things that can get us into such trouble and, and get us further from God. If I'm slow to listen then I'm not really caring about people. Uh, it, it, it's reflective of my self-centeredness, of my self-absorption. It also means I'm not being teachable. If I don't listen, I don't learn. I'm not corrected because I'm always right. My voice, my words, we all, um, it's kind of all that matters to me, which breeds pride, it breeds arrogance. And if I tend to talk without listening, it also means I tend to be judgmental, intolerant. There's no room for empathy, for, for uh, you know, a legit understanding of a different perspective. And that makes me quick to anger because it makes it all about me. I mean, that's a lot of toxic stuff from just those three things. So let's keep reading. Therefore... He says, get rid of all moral filth 
and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. I hope you're following kind of where he's going because because we should be slow to speak, uh, because we should be uh, quick to listen, because anger undermines our spiritual life, we should therefore, he says, do a massive internal Marie Kondo spiritual tidying up and then immerse ourselves in the words of God. If, if you want an outer world change, you have to conduct an inner world disinfection. Uh, and it's going to involve clearing out what is undermining your spiritual life and replacing it with what will enliven it. Um, this is super important. Our inner world, you know, that's our private world, um, our internal world, what we hear, what we know, how we think, how we feel. And our outer world is what we do, how we act, how we behave. And we tend to separate those two worlds, compartmentalize pretty good. We tend to separate the knowing from the doing, uh, the believing from the behaving, um, thoughts from our actions. And if we address the inner world issues with outer world strategies and remedies, it ain't going to work, man. Uh, because spiritually, the outer world actually flows from the inner world. Our inner world is what actually drives our outer world. Outer world issues are actually, you could say, inner world issues that are manifested. So we need to address these things internally. That's why James highlights three outer world issues for a bit of um, you know, spiritual health and authenticity test, listening, speaking, anger. If there's a breakdown there, it's a sign. It's a, it's a red light on the dashboard of your soul that something isn't being addressed on the inside, which is why when he turns to addressing the listening, the speaking, the anger, the outer world symptoms, he turns to an inner world cure. And again, it, it's a twofold prescription. Get rid of some of that stuff that's inside of you and replace it with some of the stuff you've kept outside of you. So specifically, take out the spiritual garbage and bring in the word. Uh, let's talk about both. First, the garbage, what James refers to as, as moral filth. You notice James' language? Let me read it again. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Um, there was a translation of the Bible called the King James Version, which was the standard version that most of you, folks my age or older, have been raised with. Uh, maybe the only Bible for a while from, from like the 1600s until maybe like 40 years ago. And as a kid, I kind of hated it uh, because it's this old-timey language that sounded like Shakespeare. Um, I I, I'd recommend for, particularly for newish Christians, the NLT version. I like that version. It has a grade six reading level, which is just fine by me. And uh, 
you know, because the Bible can be difficult enough in many ways. Okay, with that caveat, I have to say sometimes, as somebody who even just loves a good turn of phrase, somebody who loves evocative words, words like evocative, um, <laughs> sometimes the King James Version is just better. It's just, it's just more poetic. I, th- there's words in the King James Version that are just like abide. Abide is a King James Version word. And it's like, I just love that word, abiding in Christ. We get words like that we don't use anymore, like cleave. I use that in pre-marriage counseling a lot. For this reason, a man will leave his parents' home and cleave to his wife. I love that. There's a lot going on in that one word, you know. Well, check out how the King James Version translates this verse in James. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Superfluity of naughtiness. Isn't that great? Superfluity means like uh, an overabundant supply. How many... How many would say that we have an overabundant supply of naughtiness um, in ourselves, in this world, evil that is lying around, accessible at hand, uh, that kind of courses through our culture's veins, you know, we're surrounded by evil. It's just so prevalent, which means it's easy to take in, easy to subscribe to, easy to just press click, watch, listen, agree with, ingest. And and I'm not just talking about something like pornography. I mean, that one's a given, but there's so many other ways to kind of pollute our inner world morally. So many things you can fill your heart with, your soul with, your mind with, whether it's translated as filth, in the newer version, or superfluity of naughtiness. It's in us. It's around us. Um, If a blogger or a podcaster hardens your heart towards other human beings, demonizes a whole group of people, that's a version of filth. If someone makes you less loving, more racist, that's filth. If you find yourself reading things that make you want to just abandon civility and lash out and troll others, that's filth. If you follow someone on social media who kind of just inflames cynicism and bitterness and division and resentment, you could say that's a version of filth. Uh, We know sexual pornography is harmful to your soul, but there's a lot of types of filth, isn't there? And, And we need to quit taking it into our inner world because it's also messing with our outer world. And James says, get rid of it. And, and, and after he wrote, get rid of it, the original uh, phrase in the original Greek was one that was used when actually talking about taking off dirty or filthy rags. Like, 
<laughs> like getting absolutely slimed by something and needing to strip off everything that's soiled and stained and taking a shower, throwing it away. And, but then there was the one thing James said that you shouldn't get rid of. In fact, you need to take it in as much as you can, something to replace all this filth inside. Receive with meekness or with humility the engrafted word, King James, the engrafted word of God to save my soul. Get the word engrafted. Get it to be part of you. I don't want to just come around the word. I don't want to just read the word. I don't want to just sing pretty songs about the word. I don't want to just listen to the word on podcasts. I need the word engrafted on my soul. I love that word engrafted. Any green thumbs in the room, gardeners? Yeah, like, you know, you, you graft or engraft one plant onto a stem or a root or, or, or branch of another plant in such a way that a union is formed and it, it continues to grow in a healthy way. In our context, you know, it's the word that sticks. Uh, the only word that can overcome the enemy is not the word you just hear, but the word that sticks. It engrafts, it attaches itself, it becomes one with you. Yeah, you come to church not for our great coffee, not because our light show can compete with Disney. You come to church to get the word to stick. The word of God literally gets down in your spirit. The NLT says it's the word that God has planted in your heart. And we're going to find that James is all about the word of God, all about scripture, all about the importance of God's revelation to us. It's truth, it's power, it's wisdom. You know, at Paul, one of the leaders of the early Christian movement, it would later write, he'd say, all of scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. It's useful for us to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so don't miss that... Um, the way we receive this planted word, this engrafted word, or, or rather the way it becomes engrafted, is to receive it humbly. Accepting it humbly, James says, has the power to transform you. Just words? No, not just words. We're talking about the word, the logos, the supernatural God-breathed only book that promises to change lives and soften hearts. Receiving it pridefully is when you, you know what it says and you say it to yourself that it doesn't really apply to you, you know, or you know what it says and you say, well, I, I don't believe that part of the Bible, you know, the Bible's just wrong. Or you know what it says and you say, well, that's outdated. We've gotten more sophisticated since then. Uh, or you know what it says, but you feel like you can kind of treat it like a smorgasbord and take what you like and throw away the rest. Um, or you know what it says, but you just blow it off because ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Uh, there are so many ways to come to the Bible with prideful rejection instead of meekness and humility. But they have one thing in common. If you meet 
the Bible with prideful rejection, you are essentially rejecting the work of God in your life. Humble acceptance means you submit to it, you follow it, you you do what it says. You let it be over you instead of you being over it. Yeah, you let it judge your thoughts and your attitudes. Uh, instead of having your thoughts and attitudes stand in judgment over what it says, you accept that it's the authority, not you. It's the word of God. Now, a, a quick word about James saying that if you come to the word of God this way, it can save you. Y'all remember from last week, um, who, who was this written to? It was written to... Christians, the underground church, people who had already been saved, right? So why do you think James is now talking about this is how we can be saved? I think it's because when when we talk about salvation in the most comprehensive sense of the word, you know, we're kind of talking about three aspects, that we have been saved. I I hope you've made that decision to make Jesus, your king, and in that way, you have been saved. But we are being saved, and we will be saved. Like, as Christians, we have been saved through the death and resurrection of Christ, and our, and our acceptance of that through the forgiveness of, of sins. And that's why James doesn't just talk about reading the Bible, but humbly accepting it. And, and we are meant to become more and more like Jesus we might call that in the Alliance Church sanctification. Um, some of you may remember Gus's open mic uh, from last week where that was essentially his vision that, that we would become a sanctified people, more and more reflective of our saved state, looking more and more like Jesus. So we have been saved, we are being saved, but then there's going to come a, a final declaration at the end of time when we are declared saved and welcomed into heaven. The entire process of, of the dynamic of salvation is made complete in that day. So James is talking about, you know, I think the second of those three aspects of salvation, the, the work of God in our life, that aspect of salvation where, wherein we become more like Jesus every day, more humble, more gracious, more at peace more comfortable in our own identity as a child of God. And and it's such an important dynamic that James really wants to drive it home. So let's keep reading and let him do that. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Um, It says that saving begins to work its way in and through our life. We grow in Christ. Areas of our life are increasingly reflective of our salvation. But let's talk about mirrors for a second. Um, I was going to bring a mirror to show you what a mirror looks like. Um, we know, right? If you don't know, there's some in the bathroom there. Uh, y- you can look right into it and see your face perfectly reflected back at you. Um, see a mirror image of yourself. I found out that's not the way mirrors were 
back in James' day. Uh, sometimes it, it helps to know what mere would have meant to the readers 2,000 years ago in the time of this writing. In James' day, uh, mirrors weren't crystal clear reflections like we have now. They weren't even made of reflective glass. Uh, they were made, and we're going to just put a picture up, of like a polished copper or brass, and the image uh, would have been, well, just a little harder, um, not, as, not as good, right? Uh, that's, a, that's an actual mirror that was uh, found um, in Egypt about the same time, 2,000 years ago. And because the image wasn't as clear as ours would be today, they really would have to stare at themselves intently for like long periods of time to make out their reflection uh, as carefully as they could to, you know, notice what needed to be done. Oh, there's another gray hair in my beard. And is my forehead really that big? And you know, you know what I mean? Like, so whether it was their hair or makeup, all the things that you might need to check in a mirror to reveal you. Now with that in mind, let's just quickly reread James because I think he's actually being a little, a little cheeky, a little sarcastic here. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. There's some sarcasm going on here. Anyone who listens to the word of God, knows it, learns about it, and doesn't live it, and follow it is like someone spending all that time in front of their brass mirror to get all the reflection that they can in their minds about what needs fixing, what needs straightening, what needs repairing, because mirrors took some work, and then walks away and immediately forget what needs to be done. Immediately gets distracted from taking care of what they saw, just forgets it all. In other words, they did it all for nothing. Nothing that needed to be addressed in their life got addressed. James is like, why did you spend all that time looking at yourself? Why did you notice the things that needed addressing and then walk away and not do any of it? You know, marriage can be like a great mirror into our character, can it? A good small group can act as like a mirror into our inner world. The Bible is the ultimate mirror for our lives. If, if we are only hearers of the word and never doers, then it's as meaningless as someone spending all that time in front of a mirror and then walking away as if they never saw their reflection. So what should we do instead? Let me read it one more time. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You see the key? looking intently into what God says to us in his word, looking for what it's, it tells us about how we're living, what we need to do, things that we need to apply, where we need to follow, taking in everything we can about it, uh, everything it says about what it means to live wisely. The results in what James calls a blessed life. And when James says blessed, you know, don't water that down. It's not like someone telling you to have a blessed day. Uh, that's a nice sentiment, but they, they can't give you a blessed day. Um, in the Bible, a blessing was all about supernatural favor 
coming directly from God. Um, from the riches of his generosity and goodness. It wasn't about just getting a little more than we could have by ourselves. Uh, a blessing was about this unique grace, partiality, uh, gifts that only God has the power to give, a supernatural indulgence, if you will. A truly blessed life is one marked by supernatural favor. So this is big stuff. And it, it brings James full circle. He ends by giving a restating of the importance of watching your tongue, caring for your inner world, and then having that influence your outer world. And uh, we'll close with this, but he ends the chapter by saying, if anyone considers himself religious, I don't like the word religious, but if anyone considers himself a person of faith and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's what a powerful vision that is. A life that is slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry, that, that passes the litmus test of a, of a reined-in tongue, a life that reflects the, the inner world and lets it transform their outer world by, by getting rid of filth and replacing it with what? The Word. Thank you. I, I was prepared to wait all day. And not just taking it in, but humbly accepting it, refusing to pridefully reject it, being a doer of the word, not just a listener, someone who stands before a mirror and remembers what they saw. And that is a life that is experiencing a unmatchable, supernatural blessing from God. And it turns that blessing to be a blessing to others. Blessed to be a blessing. The orphans, the widows, the poor, the vulnerable of this world. When you get your inner world appropriately aligned, you will increasingly have the heart of God towards others. So the Christ life is so much more than bracing a set of beliefs. That's important, but it isn't a checklist about rituals. I've said it a thousand times, it isn't about religion as we have come to define it. It's about an inner world being transformed and being transformed by the living God whose word has been engrafted into every fiber of our being. Jesus said, now that's authentic. That's authentic. And maybe that's our challenge this week. Maybe that's what he has to say for us this week. Let me pray for you. God, as we look um, in a spiritual mirror this week, maybe see what you see. May we honestly and soberly consider our outside actions and our inner heart motivations. And may we not let the world pollute us, but rather may the word be engrafted in us. And as we look to you, as we obey you, 
You promised to bless us. Lord, may we have a rich understanding of what it means to be blessed. Our minds often go to money, uh, security. Oh, it's so much more than that. That may be part of your blessing, but the blessing of shalom, the peace that passes all understanding, the, the blessing of generations who serve God, uh, the blessing of being a light in a dark place. May we have a richer understanding of the priestly blessing. The Lord be with you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you. Um, we long to be a blessed people, Lord. And you give us the instructions on, on how to do that. Thank you for this good, practical word.